Hello guys, welcome to our show. Today we discuss about a very important topic, SEO forecast, how you can predict data, <laughs> because it's very important today. I often see when the masters chase some value metrics, uh, volume, uh, likes, uh, comments and something like that, that uh, don't help to sell. That's why I'm so excited to discuss this topic with Kevin Indyk. How are you? Hey, good. You have a killer intro there. Congrats for that. It's my team. So, you know, I found the best way, you know, to provide the task for my team. Uh, don't limit their possibilities. I just tell them I need a cool intro. Do it. I don't know how you can do it. Just do it. <laughs> so, yeah, if you cooperate with good people and I have a team in Ukraine, so, yeah, they can help me with that. Kevin, before we start, just tell more about your self-experience background because you you are super active on linkedin on other social media to share value i love it i keep learning from you tell our audience more about you if someone doesn't know you i think it's hard for my audience but if someone doesn't know just tell more about you thanks man you're too kind i'm trying to give you the you know 60 second uh summary so i've um i'm actually going to start with where i'm right now so um i'm, I'm currently since the last nine months, I'm an advisor to big companies like Snapchat, Nextdoor, uh, and you know, insurances, e-commerce companies, all sorts of companies. And my job is helping them to grow on non-paid channels, predominantly through SEO, of course, but I'm also helping them with email marketing, uh, conversion optimization, uh, brand awareness, influencer marketing. So it's a whole um, list of things, but they're all non-paid. My background is, you know, I, I led SEO and other parts of the of the growth team at Shopify. Uh, before then, I led SEO and content at G2. Before then, I led SEO at Atlassian. So I have a strong background in SEO, and I'm working with mostly SaaS companies and marketplaces. That's really my specialty. So that's me in a nutshell. You mentioned I share a lot of stuff on LinkedIn and Twitter and have a newsletter. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing most of that because when I, when I learned SEO, when I came up, um, you know, I learned from other people sharing content and sharing their experience. And I think it's absolutely critical for us to to push these channels and activities forward. Yeah, nice, nice. I know, I know about that, uh, and I love your content. Uh, I love how you can share these stories. And guys, I recommend to anyone to follow Kevin because you can learn a lot more. And Kevin, thanks, thanks. I have the first question about AI. You know, it's hard to ignore this topic today. And uh, I, uh, yeah, I check out some of your posts where you discuss this topic uh, with, uh, with other experts, well-known experts. And uh, uh, yesterday I spoke with Jeff Coyle. He's co-founder of Market Muse. And he told me, in the future, we will have three companies. Uh, the first type of company uh, that uh, develop AI, the second type of company uh, that adopt AI and three uh, third type uh, obsolete companies <laughs> that probably will leave the trade. And you mentioned that you help big companies uh, to grow, to get results. Can you tell how these companies adopt AI today or create AI? I think the, these companies can uh, have own AI system. And it's interesting. Um, I watched the last presentation of Mark Zuckerberg division of meta and he told 39 times about ai 39 times a lot um uh, elon musk criticized open ai uh, but when 
he got it that he can't change anything. Uh, he uh, bought a lot of equipment for Twitter to uh, grow AI. I think it's hard to stop the process. Uh, any tips how small companies or big companies can adapt today and how you can help others with that? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Jeff Coyle is an industry friend, very smart guy. I really like what Market Muse are doing. And uh, I think you you hit it on the head when it comes to AI. The genie is out of the bottle, and there's no way putting the genie back in the bottle. Even if Elon Musk calls for pausing AI, which I think has other motivations, but um, I you know the genie is out of the bottle, and this is something that we all need to deal with. And I know that. You know, there's a lot of content about AI. We're all tired and burned out by it. But yet at the same time, I think it's absolutely critical to stay on top and learn. Because in my mind, this shift is probably bigger than the shift to mobile. I think this is massive. Um, I think the disruption is, is incredible. And I'm saying that for a couple of reasons. One is I've been using AI with my clients for the last nine months, um, not exclusively, but we've been testing into it and we've been experimenting and we saw great results. And I think this is something that's not just accessible to big companies, but to small companies as well. And my third reason is it will live in every product. Every product already works on integrating AI and will find a useful situation because it's just so versatile and so universal. So those these are my three reasons. Um, I so a couple of ways that you can use it today, even as a small company. One is to just brainstorming in general, and I find that it is often, you know, ChatGPT and other AI tools are often underutilized when it comes to brainstorming. So an example is I recently uh, on Monday actually the newsletter that I wrote was about the smoking gun in SEO and basically how most of the time companies and teams try to find this one issue that they're trying to fix. And they think that if they fix it, everything is good. And that often doesn't exist with a couple of exceptions. And I had a hard time bringing that or connecting that thought to, to a concept. And I asked ChatGPT, so what's like, I described exactly what I said to you. And it said, well, what you're talking about is basically root cause analysis. And I was like, totally, that is root cause analysis. And then I was able to move forward from there. So it helps you phrase thoughts in a better way, find your thoughts, formalize your thoughts. It helps you fact check your ideas, expand your ideas and move them forward. And I think that in itself is already one great way to come up with better content, better topics, whether it's for social or your blog or something else. And of course, it increases the speed of content creation and um, can help you to, to do small, cool things as well, like add FAQs to an article, including FAQ schema or review schema. It's in general really good at schema. It can give you code, right? So the, the, the process of content creation is accelerated, basically. Um, but then you can also do other things with AI. For example, you can use it for analytics. And we're, we're not talking about that much yet because there's so much focus on content. But there are great tools like SimpleML is a tool from Google that is a free browser extension, and you can use a data set to train your own model and then make a forecast and all of that without any coding. It's super simple. You just click a couple cells, you click a couple buttons, and boom, you can create your own uh, organic traffic forecast. So there's, there's a lot of powerful applications, and we're only scratching the surface right now. Of course, the the key is to not just blindly trust everything that AI does. We have to question it. But I have a strong conviction that the quality of AI uh, improves rapidly and that we're solving these problems like in transparency 
by um, chain of thought prompting. So one one field of AI of machine learning, specifically large language models, is that the models start to share their thought process of what they do. And I can see a, a future that comes around pretty soon where the AI will do something for us and will explain the thought process. And then we can say, that makes sense. Whatever you what, whatever the output is, I, I take it and I believe it. Or you say, ah, there's a, a logical error here, so I don't believe it. So anyway, I, I touched on a lot of points, but I'm very bullish on, on AI and I think everybody should deal with it right now. Yeah, I like how you argue with uh, Eli Schwartz about <laughs> AI, you know, so he has uh, own opinion, you, you have yours. And I'm interested, you know, I don't know if you read this news about uh, uh, Geoffrey Hinton, who left Google to inform the world about dangers of AI because he uh, was one of the best experts in this niche. Uh, he worked many years on Google and he told it's dangerous because uh, the future will be quite different that we have today. Uh, uh, what do you think? Uh, you're bullish in AI, but someone can tell it's dangerous, uh, can change environment. Uh, I don't know, is it possible to have a scenario from Matrix or Terminator, but <laughs> your, your <laughs> prediction, uh, what to do today, how to adapt to this future? <laughs> yeah, you know, it, I, I, I don't really understand the, you know, the, the George Hinton motivation to leave Google to educate the world about AI. I, I think the best way to make a change is to be at the forefront and at the center of the change. So you might have had some chance. But anyway, I'm not I'm not here to, to judge someone else's decision. The valid point here is that there is a danger to every technology. Every technolo te technological advance had also negative sides. Nuclear power, cars that can run into accidents, fire that can burn people, everything. So... It, we have to always be careful with new technology and always ask how can we mitigate the downsides and scale the upsides. We in the SEO world, right? To, to just bring it back to what we're mostly looking at, we've seen some cases in which companies have published AI content without revising it, and that blew up in their face. I don't think that's so dangerous. People like to make a big deal out of it, especially the media feels attacked because they they feel like. AI can replace them, and maybe to a degree it can. But um, I think with common sense and with fact-checking and editing of what AI does and oversight, I think uh, you know it's mostly going to turn out as a net positive for us. I also think that the government, to 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 sidetrack for a second, needs a a department of technology that stays that understands the development in this area and can potentially regulate it you know it's funny that every industry from medical and health to energy is highly regulated but technology is not regulated at all and ai accelerates the development of technology and makes it so much more important that there is some regulation going on I don't think the solution that Italy and, and that Italy has enforced and that Germany is thinking about to ban ChatGPT or AI is the right one. But there is a whole list of questions that we need answers to and that we need to debate, like what should AI or large language models be trained upon? 
how do we mitigate fake content, like fake videos and fake audio and fake text and all these kind of things. It's important to to have that discourse and think about how to do it. And I think it is important to, to, for some degree for the government to be involved. But governments are typically moving very slowly and they have a, you know, they're, they're, they're there to slow things down, not to speed things up. So it's a, it's a tricky situation. We've also, you know, like ChatGPT really got popular in November and now it's May. So that's half a year. So all of this stuff is also brand new. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, uh, that's good if governments can control, manage and regulate AI, uh, not vice versa, AI uh, can <laughs> control and manage governments. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay, Karen. Uh, I have the question about creating the right SEO strategy. Once I spoke with a master who lost uh, 400,000 traffic because Google dropped some uh, ranking positions, but he didn't lose any sales. And I found uh, it's a big trap, you know, when uh, webmasters open uh, well-known tools, uh, SEMrush, Ahrefs, uh, see this high volume and can feel, wow, I want to get this traffic. But it doesn't mean you can sell by having this traffic. Even more, uh, it's hard to promote these pages because, for example, if uh, I choose SEO, I need to compete with Neil Patel, with Ahrefs, many great blogs, uh, Moas. Uh, the second, it doesn't mean that I can sell my services, products by having this keyword in the top 10. So can you tell how to find the right strategy and forecast uh, ROI, uh, yeah, possible ROI? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It is a difficult topic uh, for, you know, you mentioned a couple of, of the cases and reasons for why it's so difficult. One is because um, we can't really estimate the intent well we, we can assume an intent based on a keyword so when i look for by you know standing desk online just to come up with something of course that is a strong intent because i i add the modifier by which indicates that i actually want to buy something and i want to buy it online so that's a high intent keyword but some people or actually the majority of people look for just a keyword standing desk and that doesn't tell you much so in that group of people who look for a standing desk, some of them will eventually buy a standing desk and others might just want to research how important it is to use a standing desk, right? So that that that's the difficulty of um, search, which is based on user intent and the user intent is indicated by the keyword. Uh, and that's the opposite of user behavior, which is how social networks work. They can say, oh yeah, Kevin liked, you know, this brand, that brand interacted, with maybe these pages, and therefore we can we have a strong um, assumption that Kevin is interested in standing desks. So we allow you to run Facebook ads and target Kevin specifically. So that's kind of the challenge. Um, the way to mitigate that, there's a couple of things. If you just start out, you want to go after high intent, low volume keywords, right? So you want to go after longer tail keywords that have modifiers like buy or get or uh, sign up, you know, the, these kind of uh, queries, and they typically have lower search volume, but you want to start there just so you can you can be present at the bottom of the funnel. And then from there, you want to move your way up to the top of the funnel. So there's obviously middle of the funnel where people might compare different products. So after the buy modifier, you go after compare modifier, and then you go after the top of the funnel. And for companies who have been running for a while, the first step that I always do, and I always do this with my clients, is to look at what pages 
drive conversions and what keywords do they rank for? And then as a first step, can we just improve the ranks of these keywords? Can we just improve the organic traffic that we drive to these pages? That is the, the number one step. After that, if we say, you know, rank number one for all of these uh, uh, pages that drive conversions, then we can start to form hypotheses based on the keywords that these pages rank for um, to say, okay, these topics are important or these types of content are important. You know, and when I say types of content, it can be listicles, guides, uh, Q&A, blog posts, right? But like what type of content resonates? Maybe it's product pages, maybe it's category pages, but it all starts with looking at what works today and what can we learn from that for what might work in the future? And not all of that is going to play out, right? Like I can tell you at Shopify, a very successful company, there were some SEO bets that did not work. We created lots of pages and they just didn't convert. But you cannot know in advance. You can't try to run Google ads, but you still need to send them somewhere, right? And so there are ways to test into new keywords and, and, and page types, but you can never know for sure without at least trying. Good thing is AI makes it easier to create pages and content at scale so we can learn faster. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. Awesome. Valuable. Uh, I want to ask you about tools. Uh, I found that you share uh, SEO monitor. Uh, right, uh, on this podcast, you mentioned about ChatGPT that you can uh, use for forecasting as well. So can you tell which tools can help to forecast data and how this uh, uh, probably, I mean, like uh, Roy can be accurate, you know, because many things <laughs> we have like competitors, they uh, work on their websites, uh, we can work on our website. So uh, any tips how to calculate uh, or forecast uh, results uh, and to get, I don't know, like the best accurate result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely correct when you say that the forecast is a assumption of where we're going to land based on the data that we have today. And one of the most important things is to regularly update the forecast. So one mistake that I made early on in my career that I painfully learned from is to update forecasts ideally weekly, but at least monthly, because you keep learning, things keep changing, you get more data. And so the the wrong way to approach it is to say, okay, today's like it's January now. We're going to forecast for December. And if you see that in March, you're going to miss the forecast to not take action. You need to update that on a regular basis. That's that's the first step. Uh, second step, in terms of tools, we already spoke about SEO Monitor. I like them because they have a very easy integrated forecasting tool. I think it's very affordable and it does exactly that. It takes into account seasonality and click-through rates and keyword difficulty and how, how search volume and organic traffic changes over time. So I like that a lot. Um, I think it's a great tool. There's alternatives. I already mentioned Simple ML, which is a Google Sheets uh, extension that is free that allows you to to train a model and then update your forecast or run a forecast in the first place and then update it easily. Um, and then maybe another one that I would mention is that there is a uh, also an extension for Google Sheets uh, called um, um, GPT for Sheets and Docs. And I can send you a link for the show notes uh, or if people want to Google that, they will find that easily. Um, and it basically allows you to connect your open AI API key to Google Sheets and Google Docs, and then just prompt ChatGPT or other models in Google Sheets. And I found that to be very powerful because I could just simply select a couple of cells and say, 
hey, forecast that to me over the next couple of months and assume that the trend is going to be steady. Or I can ask it, hey, look at this at this traffic data from the last 12 or 24 months and give me an assumption, like give me show me where the outliers are and give me an assumption of how that's going to move over the next 12 months. So you can start to scenario plan and play with it, but uh, nothing beats updating forecasts on a regular basis and having a good assumption or a good hypothesis for that too. You know, another mistake that I see a lot of people make is they 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 make a forecast, but they don't describe what hypotheses drive that forecast. So one hypothesis could be, we assume that traffic will be flat in 2023 because the market will pull back. And we looked at search volume for keywords and we saw that search volume was flat or we saw that search volume is going down, right? Or another uh, assumption could be, you know, this is our first year doing SEO, so we expect to, to have a higher growth rate than the next coming year. So commenting and, and explaining your train of thought for forecast is something that very few people do but that's absolutely critical for other people to understand why you forecast that way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, interesting. I think it's the same with trading, you know, investing. Because uh, if you invest, okay, if you invest to a SP 500, that's okay. You know? <laughs> but if you invest in some companies, yeah, it's better to to calculate this forecast time to time. Uh, yeah. Kevin, I want to ask you about AI, uh, get back to this topic. Uh, 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 the last time I found that all uh, writers, all writers, uh, use AI to generate uh, content. Uh, I cooperate with many great writers who write for Forbes, uh, Bloomberg, uh, Investopedia, uh, and all of them use AI. Uh, <laughs> even more, some of them overuse AI. <laughs> so uh, we can't deny this tool exists, but. Uh, AI is the best rewriting tool. Rewriting, not writing. <laughs> and right. uh, Google doesn't care about uh, rewriting. I think because it's not about Google. Uh, I think users don't care about rewriting. Uh, it's the same like to ask uh, your friends about a new movie. I often get uh, the reply, uh, nothing special, the same plot. I watch many similar movies. Uh, and uh, yeah, users can check out the top 10 results to see similar content. They're not interested uh, to read again uh, in other words, uh, paraphrase content. Uh, but uh, all writers use uh, ChatGPT or other AI tools. Can you tell how to use it right, not over? use you know because when you yeah. overuse you get generic content but if you use it right you can uh edit and get great results any tips about that totally 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 it's funny you say that because i very much agree with you there's this big illusion going on where so many companies i would argue the, the majority of companies tell themselves that their writers are not using ai it's the same thought as a professor in university or college saying, oh, I'm sure my students don't use AI. And that's all complete horseshit. Sorry for cursing on your podcast. <laughs> but uh, why would you not use a tool like that? So a, a problem related to this is that it's still very difficult to detect AI. There are some tools that are getting better, but no tool has 100% accuracy, which makes it incredibly difficult to understand if a piece of content has been created with AI or not. But as you already said, 
it doesn't matter as long as the content is good. So the question is, what is good content and how can AI help us get there? And so good content, you know, broadly has to satisfy user intent, has to answer the question, but it is a bit dependent on what topic we're talking about and what the user is trying to achieve. In most cases, the signals for good content that are, let's say, somewhat new due to AI is expertise and experience. It really matters who wrote the content because even if I use AI to create the content, I can evaluate how good that content is. But if you're a writer, if I'm, for example, if I'm writing about something I have no idea about, say, um, you know, uh, home um, improvement, right? I'm really bad with, uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of, um, uh, you know, um, like building things with my hands or, uh, or mounting things to the wall and all kinds of really bad with it. So if I write about that, I have no idea what's good or bad. So even if I ask, if I use AI to create that content, say I create a, a draft, I cannot evaluate if it's good or bad. On the other hand, when it comes to SEO, I can very quickly understand if it's good or bad, and I can use AI much more efficiently because I know which direction to take it into. So when I write an article about for, forecasting, right, uh, I would first ask ChatGPT, hey, write me an article about this. I would see, okay, what's valuable and what's not valuable, and what what how, like what are, what is covered and what not. And then I would, it would, it's almost like an artist um, who carves out the sculpture from clay, right? So I get a draft from AI and then I can keep prompting it and keep engaging with it to ask, okay, now highlight this more, go deeper into that, give me a list of these kind of things, right? So I can start to have an interaction. But at the end of the day, the value that I provide as a creator, as a writer, is knowing what's important about the topic making it interesting and in adding my expertise to the topic. So somebody with, you know, maybe 10 years of SEO experience will know that the, the mistakes that I previously described to you, like not updating the forecast, for example, that those really matter because they have done it before. And that's something that AI can't really do. AI doesn't have experience. It just has seen a lot of content, but it has never done the thing. So bring adding your own expertise, putting that front and center a lot of fact-checking and editing, but letting AI do the legwork, that in my mind is a is a great way for approaching it as a writer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice, nice. I want to ask you about creativity. You know, it's interesting that uh, most content creators complain that AI is not creative because it's rewriting. <laughs> so why uh, AI needs to be creative if, if it's just rewrite uh, content? Um, you know, once I spoke with Jim Edwards, he worked in Business Insider for 10 years. Uh, he started on this company from scratch. Then company was sold for $500 million. Good success, uh, well-known company. And he told me that success of Business Insider depends on creating non-boring content. Uh, because most uh, business content is boring. You know, uh, for example, I, I love reading books. And many business books are great for sleeping. When you have problems with sleep, just take a new boring book, read it, you know, sleep well all night. You don't need medicine, pills, anything. Just take a new boring book. But some books are great. You know, for example, uh, 
Josh Ugerman wrote a book uh, 40 years ago, how to retain audience. Uh, this book was related to marketing, but I think it's related to digital marketing even more because he told how to retain the, uh, the readers, uh, how to give them a solid reason to consume the whole content. And uh, I see when uh, content creators share well, valuable stuff. But it's boring, it's not interesting, and people bounce fast. We, we know this data. It doesn't matter what kind of content, YouTube content, blog articles, books, people bounce if they're not interested. Can you tell how to create non-boring content in business niche? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. You know, it's so easy to miss how high the bar for quality is these days. There is so much content. And we still underestimate how much content there actually is and how much time some people spend into the article. So, you know, I've, I've, I spoke a lot to people who saw a lot of outstanding success with their content, either a blog that, that drove a massive amount of traffic or people who build a, a LinkedIn audience very quickly. And they spend a lot of time on their content. So we have this illusion that we can just write, you know, a piece of content within a couple of hours and that's the best thing out there. And it's not. So we really have to ask ourselves, how much time like, can we spend to create the best content possible? Not how much time do we think it needs, but how much time can we invest in making something really good? Because, you know, I'm never 100% satisfied with my content that I put out. There's always another revision I could do, always some better way to phrase it to keep people's attention. But I have time box the time that I spend on my content. And so... I stop when the time is over, not when I think the piece is done. And that leads to a couple of interesting trends, right? One is that companies, again, the like volume doesn't matter as much as quality. And quality, you know, so, so you rather put out one piece of content a month, but that piece of content then ranks at the top for your important keywords or drives a ton of, a ton of traffic. And that matters so much more than putting out 40 pieces of content that don't drive traffic. You know what I mean? Like it's it's either performing well or it's not performing well. So you it doesn't matter if you if you put out a lot of volume. But only only the only thing that matters is if the content drives traffic. And it drives traffic when you invest a lot of time because you need to put something out there that is better than all the other stuff on the internet. And that is really hard, especially because you can use AI these days to, to create content so much faster and more efficiently. So it often is a question of, how high do you set the quality bar? And the way that I do this with my clients these days is I show them pieces of content that are really, really good, that perform well, that are outstanding to give them a feeling for, hey, where is the bar? You know, how, how good does this need to be? And then we go back and we revise the numbers. We look at, okay, how much traffic has this driven? Like, how good is it actually performing? Is it performing at all? And if not, we got to go back and we got we to gotta edit that content and improve the content, fix the content and all that kind of stuff. But long story short, is all a matter of quality. And we tend to underestimate how good content has to be these days. Because, you know, again, it's, people have been putting content out for the last 15, 20 years. And so the bar is pretty high these days. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, I remember when Brian Dean uh, started uh, Backlinko, he changed uh, the way of creating content. Uh, not he, he didn't change anything, but he told another way uh, to post uh, quality uh, instead of quantity. But I see another approach from Gary Vee. Uh, 
key shares that you need to create quantity because if you have quantity you can improve quality step by step for example uh, i watched interview with mr beast and he told that you need to film 100 bad videos film 100 bad videos improve quality little bit step by step but you can get experience to acquire the experience how to create quality content uh, and i see when people uh, misunderstand consistency and uh, frequency so can you tell how to find the balance between branding gary v consistency frequency uh, from your experience <laughs> i love that question Anatoly. uh props to you for asking such a good question and you're absolutely right so this is universal principle in life that i i call for me it's repetitions right i'm 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 big into working out and fitness. Um, I think it's incredibly helpful and healthy. And I learned that so you got to do some things 10,000 times before you do them well. And that is the same principle that Gary B and Mr. Beast are talking about. This is idea, idea of getting reps in, repetitions, repetitions, repetition. It's the same idea as, you know, um, taking 10,000 hours to become an expert. There's this book by Malcolm Gladwell that describes this idea that the best in the world, they, they put in at least 10,000 hours. There's some, you know, debate about whether it's true or not, but it, the, the idea matters, right? You need a lot of reps to get good. And, you know, I've spent the last 13 years in SEO and that's how I got good. So it, I didn't get good overnight, but that's how you get good. And that's not how you should think about content when you create it for companies, for example, right? Say you're a content marketer or an SEO at a company, and your job is to create uh, organic traffic. You don't do that by writing 10,000 blog posts on the company's uh, page or site. You know, you do that by you, you know practicing on LinkedIn, on your own LinkedIn account or your own blog. That's where you practice. And then when you get really good, you take that skill to a company that pays you for it and, and put it out there. So uh, even Mr. Beast will tell you that he had a different YouTube channel before he started his main one. And, uh, and Gary Vaynerchuk recorded, I don't know how many videos about wine for his uh, wine.com business before he became Gary B as we see them today. So they all put out a lot of volume. They practice on a, on a training ground in a training gym, and then they went on a field and they perform. And what they perform today is all high quality, right? I don't know what Brian Dean did before he started backlinko.com, but I'm sure he practiced and honed his, honed his craft uh, before he put that out. So there's a difference between training yourself and getting in reps and getting really good and then only putting out high quality content, right? And even Gary Vee's content, you know, and I'm, a lot, a lot of people hate him. I'm, I actually, I actually respect what he does. And, you know, I think it's a great example. Um, you know, these days he has a, a full team of editors and, and people who repurposes content, but only the good stuff, right? Like he records a lot of stuff, but he, picks out the best cherries, the nicest fruit, and that's what he shares online. So you could still argue that he he creates a lot of quality, but he creates it by um, by doing a lot and then filtering for very high quality bar. Yeah. By the way, Brandin shares uh, one time about uh, how he can practice his uh, uh, writing skills. Uh, and, you know, uh, I think when he posts content on his blog uh, uh okay he sold uh backlinko uh, i mean like uh, in exploding topics uh he usually uh provides the best content with the best writing but he writes every single day 
thousand words, and he shared on one post that he, he uh, still uh, does it. Uh, I think he can write emails, he can write many other stuff that uh, don't need to have such quality, but when he spend time on writing blog posts, yeah, he provides the best content. So it's important to train your skills. It's the same, for example, if I read 100 books, how to play soccer. I can't play with Cristiano Ronaldo, Lionel Messi, because these guys prefer to hit the ball. 10,000 times a day then, <laughs> to learn yes. how to play it. Uh, and Kevin, I have the question about common mistakes. Can you list common mistakes that companies still do by implementing AI and forecasting and your tips how to find a much better way? Yeah, yeah. So we can build a bridge between getting in the reps and practice and AI content. And that bridge is that one of the biggest mistakes I see companies make with AI is they they don't invest enough time in their prompt. So the way to get really good output from AI is you you start with the prompt and you look at the result and then you modify and tweak the prompt and you improve it and expand it. So some really good prompts can have two, three, four, five hundred words sometimes because they give a very exact instruction to the large language model or to the AI, whatever you want to use, right? So you start with something like, Write me an article about SEO forecasting. And then you see, ah, okay, that's not really deep. That's not really good. So as an next step, you, you then say, oh, write me an article about SEO forecasting as if you were a marketer in a SaaS company and your executive asks you to, you know, like you, you give it a lot more detail to work off of. And the more detail you give it, the better the output. And that's what we call prompt engineering. So there are, you can play with variables in prompt engineering. You can you can just give a lot more context. But at the end of the day, the biggest mistake is to, to not invest the time in a good prompt and not refine it over time, right? So I think, you know, down the road, we'll get, to, we'll, there will be new disciplines like uh, prompt A-B testing, where you, you know, uh, you get two pieces of content um, created by a similar prompt where you test uh, different variables against each other or we test different elements or approaches against each other. Um, another big mistake is to not fact check and edit the content you get from AI. That's something you know that some companies got in trouble with lately. It's because they put out stuff that was wrong and they didn't fact check it properly. They didn't edit it properly. And then the third thing is to figure out, okay, what's how can I make this piece of content unique? How can I make this piece of content interesting? Most companies just think about the functionality of content. What is the purpose? What should this do? And is it accurate, but not how it's interesting and how to capture attention? So you and I would just spoke about how important it is that you know the content you put out resonates with people and you keep their attention. That is not easy because users are trained to skim and to, to skip, right? Like think about the Twitter feed. You see a thousand tweets and maybe half an hour. How do you stand out? It's be, you stand out by capturing people's attention. And that's something that you have to do all across the board and that AI is generally not that great at because AI has no empathy or no um, good way to see, oh, is this, is this, you know, does this make sense? Would this capture me or would this not capture me? So these are three common mistakes that I see when companies use AI. Yeah, you remind me Elon Musk when he uh, posted on Twitter about uh, <laughs> his way of asking ChatGPT. You know, that was uh, a big question with a lot of details and I spent a few times to, to read this question to understand what Elon Musk uh, wanna get and uh, yeah, 
uh, I agree. When you submit uh, the prompt, please write an article about weight loss, how to lose weight. It doesn't work. You know, you need to be specific. You know, spend time crafting this prompt. And Kevin, my final question, according to your experience, you know, for example, I found that I usually get good results with uh, clients who understand SEO. If they don't understand, I tell them, take my course, learn on Google, learn on YouTube, just get the basic. Because uh, if they don't understand, uh, we can't cooperate like a cohesive team, you know, because uh, results depend on quality content uh, or on understanding uh, what kind of traffic we need to get. Uh, let's imagine you started today from scratch without any experience, knowledge, skills. Uh, forget about your 10 years of experience. So what will you do today to learn more about modern SEO? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think you can learn the the essence or 80%, the majority of SEO, probably within two to three months of just reading stuff on the internet. And then from there, it's all practical application. The last 20% of SEO knowledge, and to, to the point, I don't think anybody has 100%, but if you want to get closer to 100%, you need to get practical experience. Nothing, as you said, you cannot read 100 books about soccer and play like Cristiano Ronaldo, right? You can understand the concept and the rules of soccer, but then you need to play it and you need to play it a lot. And so the best thing is to start your own side project. I'm, I'm a blogger, right? I, I write a lot and stuff and I run regular SEO tests on my growth memo or other sites that I have. Um, you can start an online shop. You can start an affiliate project. There are many ways, but you need to get your own practical experience. And you need to think like a scientist. SEO has become so complex that it's not the same game anymore, right? Like 10 years ago when I started, there was a clear list of things you need to do. And if you did these things, you succeeded. That's not the case anymore today, right? You, you We still have some ideas of what works. But then from there, you know, there's a lot of factors that we cannot control that will influence the outcome. And so you have to think like a scientist where you define a hypothesis and you go out to test that hypothesis as good as you possibly can. And you'll find that most of your tests will fail, but some will succeed. And those that succeed, that's what you, that's what you, that, that's kind of your your, your unique repository of knowledge that you can then bring to a company or to clients and say, look, I tested this. I know this works. Um, let's, let's use that to increase your organic traffic, right? So I know, for example, that um, FAQ featured snip, uh, rich snippets, I mean, FAQ, uh, works really well because at Shopify, we tested that. And we, we, were, we knew exactly what the impact is. Or I know that internal linking works really well because at last we spent a lot of time improving our internal linking and we saw really good results. So practical application is the number one thing and you can gain that easier than ever before because it's easier than ever to build a website. But it takes time and it takes commitment and that's where a lot of people fail and then they go out and only read blog articles and think that they know about SEO. But unfortunately, that's not enough. Yeah. I couldn't agree more with that. Overlearning doesn't help because if you uh, learn and do nothing, you get nothing. <laughs> but yeah. if you, and you know, people have short memory. They can forget about new skills for a few days. I can forget for a few hours. Just tell me I can forget. That's why, you know, Bill Gates, when he reads books, uh, he makes notes and think how to adapt 
how to implement something like this. Uh, that's why, yeah, it's better to practice more than learn. You need to learn, but 20% uh, of time find your ratio, but practice more. Love it. Yeah. Kevin, it's I'm a, a big, I'm a big yeah. Sorry, just, just something to add, you know, because I'm so passionate about reading books. And I learned that there are different ways to read a book, right? The basic level is to just, you just read the book. You just read and and you hopefully you learn some things, right? But this way you maybe take away two or three things because the memory of humans can only hold so many things in the short-term memory. So that's the basic level. Then there's an advanced level, which is analytical reading. And you basically read the book and you take some notes and you try to really internalize the lessons that you learn. And the highest form of book reading is called syntopical reading, where you read a lot of books around the same topic and you, you analyze it, you understand all the key points from the different authors, but then you come up with more questions based on the key insights, right? You question the key insights. You have a, a meta conversation with the author and then you go and read the books again and try to find answers to your questions. And that's the highest form of understanding, right? It's the same thing in SEO. Like you, you see, you read some things, you try them out, you, some questions come up, you write them down, you wonder how to do this, you go out and try, or you reach out to the person writing the blog article and you're like, how, I have these questions, like this is not clear to me. And that's how you really get on top of the game. So I know we want to wrap up, but I just wanted to add that. Yeah, nice, no, love it. I'll try, I'll try. It's interesting <laughs> because I love reading books. You know, for me, books are the best uh, content format ever because book offers spend like six months and year to write a book. Blog articles take uh, a few hours, a few days. Uh, any other content takes uh, less time, but book offers share uh, a lot of insights about human psychology and it doesn't matter when book uh, was written uh, because I love books from Jack London. Uh, Martin Eden is a great example of consistency. <laughs> you know, he wrote this book a hundred years ago, but I understand how it's important to work hard to be consistent in your way. So yeah, I love it. Kevin, it's cool. a big pleasure to get in my show, to learn from you. Uh, tell our audience the best way how to keep learning from you, how to reach out to you, how to follow you. Yeah, thanks, Anatoly. Thanks for having me again. It's been a pleasure as always. Um, if you are curious in the stuff that I put out and the learnings that I share, I blog on kevin-indic.com. You can also go to growthmemo.com, same site, uh, or you can follow me on LinkedIn and Twitter. That's where I post mo most of the time. Okay, guys, you can find the links to Twitter, LinkedIn, and website in the description below. Listen to us on Apple, Google, Spotify. Thanks again for your time. Love it. So valuable. I recommend to anyone to follow Kevin because you can see a lot of value. Okay, guys. Love you. See you.